This is a church that truly loves the word. And we've been blessed, I can say this, especially since he's not here and gets embarrassed, but we have a pastor that loves the word. Today's passage is in next week too. We're going to be dealing with nurturing a desire for the word. Okay. But I was studying for this sermon and on, I forget which day it was, I think it was Friday. I get a, a ding on my text, right? It's Eric. He's talking about the Psalms. He's getting really excited. And then ding, 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 ding. I got 10 dings. And I felt like saying, put it away, child. And enough. Isn't it? But it, I loved it. I loved it because he was savoring. And you know, you know Eric, mmm, right? Savory. He was so in love with the idea of, of the fact that we're going to study the Psalms this summer. And um, he just, I, I said, you are a walking illustration of our text for this week and next. And it's, the text, if you want to turn there, we're going to get to it in a minute, is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is a, a passage of scripture that deals with cultivating a hunger, a thirst for the word of God. And in essence, essence it sets the foundation for making the Bible valuable in our lives. And the, the chief exhortation, the sentence with the command verb is found in chapter or verse 2, where it says, long for the pure milk of the word. You might have a slightly different translation. I'm reading from the New American Standard. And on this particular interpretation of the text of the Greek, they have the best text, the best interpretation. It's to long for the pure milk of the word. Yours might say, which is very good, long for the true spiritual milk or something like that. That's, that's fine as well. But mark this, guys. Genuine godliness is marked by a desire for, a longing for, a delight in the word of God. It's one of the things that drew me to Eric. He loves the word of God. The great man of God, Job, put it this way. In Job 23, 12, he says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The psalmist testifies of the man of God in, in chapter 1, or Psalm 1, verse 2, where he says, his delight, the man of God, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's the attitude, the heart attitude that guards the door to the Psalter, a love for the word. And this delight, this longing, guys, is what Peter is addressing in this passage. And he's calling us by way of command to long for the pure milk of the word. This is a first aorist imperative. In other words, this is not a suggestion, but a direct imperative, a command by God through Peter to you and me. We're commanded to desire the word. And when I first started considering this passage a while ago and studying it, I was kind of perplexed by that. How can you command for, to someone to desire something, right? We usually think of desires or, or compulsions that come from things that we naturally desire, like chocolate. Every, nobody has to command you to like chocolate. Everybody loves chocolate unless you're allergic to it or something like that, right? How can you command someone to desire something? Well, 
the truth be told, most of our desires are acquired. I am grateful that I had a mom and a dad who told me, enjoy your broccoli, eat it. Eat your leafy vegetables. Have your beans and rice. Because I didn't like anything when I was a kid. Everything was weird to me. But they insisted that I eat certain things. And guess what? I've come to enjoy food a great deal. Right? I mean, think of the first time somebody put a cup of coffee in front of you. You didn't look at it and say, wow, it's black like mud. It's bitter. Tastes like battery acid. I love it! But what? Pretty soon the, the aroma began to get at you, right? And then maybe you made it for a spouse or a friend, and you enjoyed the fellowship that happened over coffee. And before you know it, you're addicted to a mildly uh, addictive uh, stimulant, basically. <laughs> but you like it. You love it. That's an acquired taste. And loving the scripture, guys, while it may come naturally at times, like when we first, the first flush of faith when we come to Jesus, or when we're going through a very difficult time and we, we're drawn to the word. The love for the word is largely an acquired taste, and that's why Peter commands it. And he calls it milk. Why does he call it milk? You may think, well, this must be the elementary principles of Christianity. No, no, no. Milk is used a couple of times that way in the New Testament, but the analogy is not in the milk here. The analogy is in the desire that a little baby has for its mother's nutrition. He says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. The analogy is in the desire, the longing, and that's what Peter is drawing our attention to. And the verb itself, the verb long, is a compound word. It's made up of two words. The main one, patheo, what does that sound like? Pathos, right? A deep feeling. To that is added a prepositional prefix. It's augmented by a preposition. And when you have a verb that is put together with a preposition before it in the Greek, it's an intensification of the verbal idea. So Peter, or the, we're talking about a very visceral desire. For example, it's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in Psalm 42. And we, we have a song about this. As a deer pants or longs for the water, so my soul longs after you, O God. That's the same verb that's used here in 1 Peter chapter 2. It's that visceral desire that that, that animal has for water where it can only, it has one thought in its head, I got to get to water or I'm going to die. So Peter is talking about both uh, the psalmist and Peter are talking about a driving, compelling, craving passion, a strong and intense desire. And he's commanding us to crave this. We all crave things, right? We have passions for things. We understand what it is to thirst and what it is to hunger. And some of you right now are feeling that, that rumbling in your tummy and it's going to be a roar in about an hour right, as you long for lunch. But we all know what it is to crave things. We all know what it is to crave good things. We also know what it is to crave bad things. We all have a longing for love and companionship and affection and for fellowship and information, for understanding. We also have longings for things in life that are illicit and impure, don't we? And Peter says, with all your longings, 
This is one that you absolutely need to have. You need to have an intense, passionate, overwhelming, insatiable craving for what? For something that is pure. That means uncorruptible, uncontaminated. So we're talking about a substance here in a corruptible, contaminated, polluted world that is pure. And Peter uses a wonderful analogy of a little baby that longs for its mother's nourishment. That comes, that nourishment comes from the mother, as it were, straight into that little child without being contaminated by the world around it. And what is this pure milk that Peter is saying we need to have in the same way that baby needs its nourishment? It is what? The pure milk of the word. It is the word of God. We have to see, guys, the word of God as the unadulterated, unpolluted source of our spiritual nutrition. It is the word of God that reveals to us the mind of God, the heart of God, the character of God, the person of God, the ways of God. It is the word of God that reveals to us the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so we must recognize that this is our source of spiritual nutrition. The word of God. We have to crave this, guys. Because the Bible was meant to be consumed. The Bible is not a relic. It is not an icon. It is not a talisman that you keep around and dust off every once in a while for Advent or Bar Mitzvah or something. It is to be devoured. And without the command that Peter gives us here, we can't devour it. We have so much available to us in terms of uh, just food, nutrition, and, uh, and spiritually speaking, pulpits and pastors and, and podcasts and uh, commentaries and stuff online. We have things available to us at, at the click of a mouse. We have no, in fact, no generation in the history of Christianity has ever had so much good nutrition available to it. But unless we embrace this command that Peter's giving us, it's all rather useless to us, right? We need to crave for the pure milk of the word. You know, it's interesting because Peter could have launched this section of his epistle by commanding us different things. He could have said, you need to read the word, like he told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13. Or you need to study the word, 2 Timothy 2.15. Or you need to meditate on the word, Psalm 19.14 and Joshua 1.8. Or you need to teach the word, 1 Timothy 4.11. Or you need to preach the word, 2 Timothy 4.2. Or you need to search the word as noble Bereans did in Acts 17.11. Or you need to wield the word as an offensive weapon in spiritual warfare, as he, Paul reminds us in Galatians 6.17. Or you need to hide the word in your heart as we're reminded in Psalm 19, verse 11. All those things are essential. Read, study, meditate, teach, preach, search, wield, hide. But without embracing, again, this basic command by Peter, it's all impossible. I've known people, I know people, who are really struggling in their Christianity, but they have no appetite. And if you don't have appetite, you get sickly, right? And they're literally starving and waning away at a veritable cornucopia banquet table of spiritual nutrition. 
Peter says, you gotta, you gotta crave the word in the same way a, a baby craves milk. Babies crave milk, right? Don't you hear them clamoring? Babies crave milk in a rather serious way. They don't want a baby shot of espresso. They don't want the things we want. They want their mother's milk. And guys, this is where godliness begins. This is where godliness is sustained. This is where godliness is brought to maturity and made to bear fruit. It is with a desire for the word of God. And such a desire, mark this again, guys, is a sign of the work of God in the life of a man, a woman, a child, or a church. That desire for Bible study, where Bible study is not something that is a duty or a chore or something that you do legalistically because of fear or intimidation or because it's an assignment. But Bible study comes forth because it's a desire, a longing in the heart, just like a baby craves milk. Those of you, you know, we've added uh, biologically to our church, I think, by 550 kids in the last two, three months. We've had babies coming out of the woodwork, right? And there's more coming, and it's such a blessing. I love children. But there's one thing that's true about babies. It's not hard to get them to eat, right? Once they know where the source is, it's not very hard to get them to feed. Not at all. It's instinctive. They can't help it. they they got to have it. they got to go to it. they got to drink it in. I was... Uh, standing at a or sitting at a Starbucks and I struck up a conversation with a young dad who was waiting for his drink and he was holding his three-month-old baby girl and she was this chunky pink pudge of beautiful cream loveliness I don't know she she looked like she was edible and and I was talking to him and I said man she is the picture of health you know what he said to me she never misses a meal Right? That's the secret. It's genes, but that's the secret. Babies can't help but eat. It's instinctive. I'll never forget how instinctive it was for my babies, my children, to want to nurse. I mean, the minute they were born, after they got cleaned up just a little bit and they, you know, clipped off the umbilical cord, they would bring that baby wrapped like a burrito and, and give it to Val, and they knew exactly what to do. That always blew my mind. I mean, they knew what to do. They didn't say, oh, wait a minute here. Got to check the baby to-do list here. Let's see, okay. Get born, did that. Um, Have the umbilical thing taken care of. Doc, thank you very much. It's a little uncomfortable, but thank you. Get cleaned up, ladies. Thank you very much for cleaning me up. And then, oh, I got to feed. I, I need to watch the instructional video on that because I've never eaten before. There was never any of that. They brought those babies, all four of them, not at the same time. They were separated by several years. <laughs> and those guys knew exactly what to do. And it was so instinctive. In fact, I remember when they were little and I would kiss one cheek and they would turn to nurse. Did you ever notice that? Then I would kiss the other cheek, and they turned this way because they thought they were going to get lunch. And I would do it, I would do it this cheek, then that cheek, this cheek, and that, until they finally went, wah! And apparently that's baby for knock it off because I would get usually in trouble with their mother at that time. 
Am I the only one that does it? You guys are laughing like you've done How many of you have done that before? Don't leave me here twist, twisting in the wind. Thank you. The, the guys are very reluctantly going like this. You know you did that. But that's a longing, a craving that God has put into babies. They demand to be fed. And that's the basic exhortation here. So long for the pure milk of the word with the same singularity, the same compulsion that a baby desires milk. Now I want to cover this basic exhortation. We've already begun to do so. And, and one principle to motivate us to long for the pure milk of the word, there's going to be four others that we're going to cover next week. But let's just sit up the text a little bit more. And, and the analogy for me, I, because I love children and I feel this is so powerful, I feel like we needed to spend some time here. But if you haven't guessed already, I love babies. I love, 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 love babies. I love all children. But I'm, with my wife, a certified baby geek. I think sometimes I miss my calling. I, I could have been an OB or a pediatrician. I just love babies. And I want you to know, in fairness to the babies out there and to all you parents, that for this message, I interviewed a baby at length. Uh, Quinn Terry, we were actually in their home, and I just fired, I put him on my knee, I peppered him with questions and pumped him full of information, and he mostly listened. He's 10 months old. Occasionally he drooled just a little bit and frequently smiled. He's a cutie, he's a smiler. But he and I have an understanding. And I want you to know that I've put in the hard research here. So. I love babies. I mean, babies smell good. You, you know how you put that pine refresh, uh, thing in your car to freshen up the, there's, and then there's a new car smell that everybody loves? Don't you love a new baby smell? I mean, there's something about it. I know women who are done having children, they get a whiff of a baby, and it's like, i got to have another one. <laughs> babies, there's that new baby smell. Babies smell good, generally. Um, they, they feel good, they're squishy, good squishy, not bad squishy, bad squishy is like an overripe avocado, they're good squishy, they're amazing miracles, they're amazing little biological machines, I could get lost in staring at a baby for hours because they're amazing, and those of you who are parents know that they're treasures beyond description in this world, right? Apart from our spouse and salvation, there's no greater gift to me. I love babies. But I want you to understand a couple of things about children, especially, I mean, babies. And one is, is that they're, they are literally antisocial. Babies are absolutely antisocial. They bring nothing to the table in terms of giving, except maybe a diaper to change. They don't do anything for you, Right? whatsoever. The baby cannot respond to, hey baby, get me a Coke. They don't respond to that. First of all, they don't speak English, right? Which is a problem. But second of all, they're not interested even remotely in meeting your needs. They would probably say if they could talk, hey, trying to suck on my fist here, you know, get your own Coke. They cannot meet any of your physical needs in terms of getting you stuff. And they don't care. They're only interested in meeting their needs. And in fact, 
God has built into babies this loud crying mechanism, right? Which is an amazing thing when you consider that they've been in utero for all that time. They don't have fully developed lungs or, or air. They have oxygen through the mother's blood, but they don't have air. So how do they come out weak and flaccid everywhere except in the, the larynx? And how that happens, I'm not sure. But that's a gift from God, too, for them, right? Because a little baby could get hungry, and if it can't call out its need, the mother might be, get busy, and the baby might be malnourished. And so God has built into babies this loud, crying mechanism so that mothers cannot escape. And this cry is not only irritating, it is also, I mean, not only loud, it is irritating, right? So you want to, to quelch it, to stop it in any way you can, as soon as you can. And that little baby doesn't care if you're in the middle of a worship service or a wedding or a funeral or if your team is at the one-yard line and you're about to score in the Super Bowl and win the championship. Of course, if you're Seattle, you just throw an interception at that point. <laughs> um, that was for my niece, Monica, who lives in the Northwest, just in case she, she listens to this podcast. I love you, Monica. I really do. Right, but they, they don't care. Babies, flat out, don't care. They're antisocial. Second thing, and you probably know about this and it's related to the first, and that is that babies are completely selfish. They don't care about meeting your needs. They, their motto is feed me, feed me now, or life me is going to be difficult for all y'all, as they say in Texas. I'm convinced, in fact, that if babies had weapons, they would use them. If a baby could pick up a large zucchini and whack you upside the head to get your attention and give him a meal, it would do it. You say, now, Marcella, you're baby bashing. What's your, what's, your, what's your point? The point is this, guys, and it's the exhortation. You see, that's the singularity and the compulsion with which babies want their milk. Am I right? That's the point. And those little rebels come into this world knowing and understanding the desperation of their condition and their gripping need for nourishment. And that's what Peter's talking about here. We need to always stay hungry for the word of God, guys. Because if we don't eat, we're in a very dangerous place. If we don't eat, we become spiritually sickly. That means we're susceptible to the enemy's lies. Paul says that he has great cunning craftiness. He's a great liar. He's a father of lies, Jesus said. If we're not strong spiritually because we're not eating the word of truth, we're going to be sickly and susceptible to lies. We're going to be susceptible to the world's diseases. Greed, anger, lust, so we need to always stay hungry for the word. It's a craving that we must nurture and feed, if you will. Got to stay hungry. And you say, well, if you stay hungry, then that's not very satisfying because if you're hungry physically, you, you want to quelch it so you can stop being hungry. You're telling me to stay hungry. How is that productive? This is the kind of hunger, guys, that satisfies it's divine math. It's, it's what Jesus was saying on the sermon 
in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? They shall be satisfied. This is the kind of hunger that satisfies. You know, there's a, there's a reality and a truth that as we grow in Christ and grow to know him through the word, there are many satisfying realities that we come to know. It's, it's spiritually gratifying and satisfying to know Jesus. But we must always stay hungry because if we don't stay hungry, our appetite will diminish. And surrounding this basic exhortation that Peter gives us, long for the pure milk of the word, there are five principles that motivate us to stimulate a hunger for the word. And we're only going to cover the first one this morning, that the basic exhortation is like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, and Peter gives us five reasons we should nurture that hunger. So if you're struggling this morning with a hunger for the word, it's just not there like you want it to be, Peter's going to help us, okay? This week and next, he's going to help us. And here's the first motivation for keeping hungry for the word, and it is this. Remember that the word of God gave you spiritual life. Remember that the word of God gave you spiritual life. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. What is the first word? Therefore or wherefore, right? Same thing. And this whole point is in that one word. Because you see, this word, therefore, points back to the previous idea, the previous paragraph. And the previous paragraph is chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. What does that say? It says this. Back up and just look at it with me. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, the truth of the gospel, which is the word of God, since you have an obedience to the truth or the word of God, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, love one another from the heart. He says, since God's word cleansed you by bringing the gospel to your soul, now you are free to love one another as you ought to love one another. And then he expands that in verse 23. He says, for you have been born again, that is, you have come to have spiritual life, you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word that was preached to you at salvation. Therefore, main exhortation, long for the pure milk of the word. Do you see the connection? Peter is saying, because of what the word did to give you life, because you've already experienced the power of the word, Remember that power and continually crave that power in your life. That's the point. We have to remember, guys, that it is the word itself that literally germinated inside of us, giving us eternal life. It brought cleansing to our soul. It it was the agent of the new birth. It brought us to obedience in the gospel. It is the word of God that was preached to us, that endures forever, that literally saved us. And that's why this 
power encounter of, of our coming to salvation in Jesus through faith in the word is spoken of so dramatically in scripture, especially the New Testament. I love the way Paul states in Colossians 1.13. He says that at the point of belief, you, we, were rescued, plucked out of the fire. We were rescued from the domain of darkness, the control, the malevolence of Satan. We were rescued from the domain of darkness into the ki- and transferred into the kingdom of whom? His beloved son. That's power. The word transferred us from eternal perdition, lostness forever, to eternal life. From death unto life. From darkness, ignorance, hatred, bigotry, to light, truth. From the domain of Satan and his slavery to the kingdom of God's beloved son, our benevolent King Jesus. All of that came through the word. And Peter says you need to remember that power that you've experienced at salvation. And you need to crave its continuance in your life. That's the point. Remember that the word of God gave you salvation. It changed you in a moment. It transformed you. Remember that power and long for it continually because what the word could do in salvation, powerful as it is, it can do in your sanctification day to day. The word gave us new life and it alone can sustain, enrich, and embellish that life. But we need to remember, again, remember that the word of God gave you life. James 1.18 says this, the, the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, the first church ever, the Lord's half-brother, James said this, in the exercise of his will, God's will, he brought us forth. That's uh, a synonym for new birth. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth, how? By the word of truth. In Matthew 13, the seed that falls to the ground and issues forth in life is the word of God. Philippians 2.16 tells us that it is called the word of life. Hebrews 4.12 says it is the living word. My words, God says, give life and sustain life. And let me just give you an aside because this is a very important practical application. When you and I share the gospel, major, absolutely major on the scripture, bring the word of God to bear because it is the word of God that is the eternal seed that germinates into eternal life. Val and I spent uh, the first year of our marriage in West Lafayette, Indiana. I took a year off seminary and Val was finishing up her degree or master's in speech pathology and we went to, we spent our first year of marriage there together and um, met lots of really wonderful people, shared the gospel with a lot of people and one young man by the name of Troy Benz came to faith in Jesus. And Troy was, is a brilliant man. He was a double engineering major at Purdue, known for engineering. He was uh, in ROTC and wanted to become a naval aviator, which he became. Very bright guy. But in the last six months of our stay in, in West Lafayette, I got to disciple Troy, and I got to just pour a lot of truth into him. And then we sent him off. I remember feeling like a father. The guy was my age. You know, it's strange how that happened. But 
we sent him off to Pensacola flight school thinking, oh man, he's going to be hanging out with sailors. You know, this is going to be tough, but the Lord was with him. And when he was there, he met another soon-to-be aviator by the name of Bob Bergman. And Bob was just a general agnostic into his career, not really believing in God. There's something out there, but he didn't know what it was, didn't care. And uh, he was pretty much a pagan, you would say. He uh, had a girlfriend, and they were living together, and the girlfriend's name was Kim. And she was into New Age stuff, mysticism, crystals, reincarnation, that kind of thing. And Bob and Kim took a liking to Troy because he was alone. And one night they had him over for dinner, and Troy was making his way over to the apartment for dinner and said, Lord, you know, he's praying, if you want me to share the gospel with these people, if now is the time, open the door. I'm, I'm available, basically. Well, they had a wonderful time that night. They had dinner, talked, laughed, had a great time, and not a spiritual conversation comes up. And it's getting to be about 11 o'clock, right? And Troy is thinking, man, I am so tired. And Bob was tired, too. He was falling asleep. He said, i got to find a way to just get home. So just as he's getting ready to stand up and excuse himself to go home, all of a sudden Kim says, so Troy, what do you think about reincarnation? And it's like, oi. <laughs> he didn't say this, but why that question now? You know, how, how do you untangle, detangle the inscrutable? And he just sat there for a couple of seconds of silence. He was stunned. He said, really, Lord, now? <laughs> and he said, while he was sitting there, a verse of scripture flashed through his mind. Hebrews 9.27. And he stood up and he said, well, you know, Kim, Bob, <clears throat> what the Bible says is that for and in as much as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. In other words, you don't get to do it over and over and over again until you get it right. It's not a loop. It's linear. You're born, you live, you die, you're judged. And he said, thanks very much for dinner. Bye. Walked out. <laughs> Which I don't know if that made it into any evangelistic manuals. I don't think he had dropped the Bible bomb and leave, you know, thing. But the next morning, Bob Bergman is hunting for Troy. And he sees him over here. And Bob's not looking good. He's stressed out. He's got dark circles under his eyes. He's agitated. And he comes up to, to Troy and he goes, Troy, we've got to talk. We've got to talk, man. That Bible thing you said last night is... Kim and I argued all night. What is this Bible thing? What is this Christianity, Jesus thing that you believe in? Will you come to our house and tell us about it? In most manuals, that would be called an open door, I think. <laughs> he didn't make a long story, only slightly shorter. Um, Bob and Kim both came to faith in Jesus Christ shortly thereafter. And they quit living together, they moved out, they went to a good church, they got counseling, they got married, and for the last 30 plus years they've been raising a family of four in the ways of the Lord. But you know what? It started with a simple verse of scripture. You know, the first, Second Corinthians 10 talks about unbelief being like fortresses, they're ideologies. They're, they're castles, bastions of, of, 
of ignorance that people build up. And what the Holy Spirit used, the spike that he used, that he drove into that wall was his scripture. And it just began to crack and crumble and the whole thing fell apart within a short period of time. But it was the power of the word to transform. And you and I have experienced that same power, haven't we? In salvation. The word that has brought forgiveness of sin, that has cleansed our soul, that has given us new birth. Guys, that wasn't the end. That was just the beginning. We have been given new, thrilling, marvelous life by the power of the word. And that word is those changes, those transformations are just the beginning. The word continues to work. Just like Paul told the Thessalonians. And for this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, the saving message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. What the Bible did at salvation powerfully, it continues to do in our sanctification. See, the word of God is still powerful to bring about God's purposes in your life. His design, his desire. The word of God is living and active. So remember, the word gave you spiritual life. Remember how powerful it was to bring you cleansing from sin. Remember how powerful it was to break the power of sin in your life and to make you a slave of righteousness. And remember, that power is still available And that power ought to be a motivation for you and I to desire the milk of the word. It began the change and can alone sustain it. While the worship team comes up, let me just close this in a word of prayer before we take communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you for just this marvelous reminder of the power of your word. It it literally rescued us from perdition, Lord. It opened our eyes to see. It broke down our ignorance and our bigotry towards you, towards your word. And you saved us through the word. And now, Lord, you want us to continue to grow and to become more like our Savior, Savior, the Lord Jesus. And that transformation happens day by day, bit by bit, through the power of your word. Help us to remember that, and by so doing, long for the pure milk of the word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.